Well, welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the senior pastor here at Palview Christian Church in beautiful central Oregon. And we are in week three of a sub-series from the Gospel of Luke. This is the one that we're looking at um, all the things that Jesus teaches about money. And the uh, sub-series is called Money Matters. As we open, I want you to hear a couple of stories Number one, a farmer ran this classified ad in the Quay County Sun. Quote, a farmer with 160 irrigated acres wants marriage-minded woman with a tractor. When replying, please send picture of the tractor. And then second story, a man was sitting next to an empty seat at the Super Bowl. The guy behind him was wondering why the empty seat. And he said, well, that was actually for my wife, but she passed away. The guy says, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but um, I'm surprised that you didn't have uh, other family members or friends that uh, wanted to take the seat. He said, well, I was surprised too, but they all decided that they wanted to attend her funeral. (laughs) Bad, I know, I know. Priorities, right? And today is all about priorities. We all have priorities, and sometimes our priorities reflect wise thinking, and sometimes not so much. Last week, we saw what it meant in our lives, especially when it comes to resources, to be under new ownership. Zacchaeus was under new ownership, and it showed in how he uh, treated his resources. We saw how all the things that we have in this life, they've actually been entrusted to us by the real owner, because we're not the real owner. The real owner is, is God. And we get to accept this new position of manager, which is an exciting position to to undertake, right? We get to be the manager of all the resources that he chooses to give to us. And as and then we briefly touched on what today's message is going to be about, and that's all about learning to uh, what what are the correct priorities when we are living in God's kingdom. And why it's important to learn the, the list of priorities from God is that we being limited in our scope and uh, being people who still struggle with our sinful nature, we tend to be a bit skewed in our perception of what is a priority and what is not. For instance, another story, a group of friends had all gone elk hunting and they had paired off in twos for the day. At the end of the day, one of the hunters came back alone. and but Now, he was dragging behind him this uh, 200-pound elk. The other hunters asked, well, where's Bob? And the hunter, who had come back by himself, said, well, I don't know. He experienced some kind of some kind of attack. I don't know if it was a stroke or, or what, but uh, he's off a couple of miles back on the trail. Now, the other hunters were shocked, and they said, why, why did you leave Bob laying there and, and choose to bring in the elk instead? And the hunter said, well, it was a tough call, but I figured nobody was going to steal Bob. See, whether we think about it or not, we all live according to a list of priorities. Now, what is a priority? Well, a priority is something that is first importance in our life, primary importance. Priorities are those things that we place high value, higher value than on other things. The Bible is a book of priorities. God's priorities, man's priorities. Priorities in how we spend our time, how we treat our families, the time that we carve out to actually learn how to sit at Jesus' feet as his disciples, um, priorities and our life goals, how, how we view and treat and use the resources that the owner has given to us, 
to manage. So as his disciples, it would be wise to examine where we are in life. Where is our life headed? Are, are there any differences between God's plan for our lives and our own plans for our lives? Now, I know that reality says that all that, that we all will order our lives in a number of ways. You might you might order your life a little bit different than, than I will. But you wonder, is there a best way, right? Is my way better than your way? Is your way better than my way? Is there a best way? Is there a godly way? And we should be concerned about that as disciples. Is there a godly way to prioritize what we have? See, when it comes to finances and income and what what we uh, what we have, what we do, there is a list. And it's a list of uh, basically four major categories. Uh, I it, When I was reading about this, I'd seen that there was five, and I kind of lumped two of them together. But there's, I see four major categories, four ways of using money as it comes into our lives. Because when it comes to resources, when it comes to our money, we can spend it. We could repay debt or pay taxes. Those were two different categories before, but I'm kind of putting them together because they, they both are things that we owe, right? So we either spend it uh, or we repay what we owe or we save it or invest it. Or if there's any left, we then share it. We give it. And for most of us, that's our order. We use our money to buy what we want, what we need. We spend it. And then we uh, pay the minimum, let's say, on our credit card. And so we, we pay our debt. Uh, we pay our taxes. And then we uh, go ahead and save if we can. And if there's any leftover, well, then, you know, uh, we'll, we'll give it away. So if you want to categorize each one of those things, it's kind of like I'll spend it, which is on me. I'll repay my debt, which is we. Me and we, actually, probably, because if I'm paying taxes, I'm I'm thinking about my fellow citizens, right? So me, we, me, and then finally, others, or, or even God. Now, speaking as a disciple living in God's upside-down kingdom, two disciples who are living in God's upside-down kingdom, I've got a question. Is there a problem with that? Is, a pro- is there a problem with looking at our priorities and saying it's me, we, and me, and finally God. See, if this is the best way to prioritize our resources, then I have another question. Why do so many people who prioritize like this end up in trouble? Why do they end up broke? Why do they end up just scraping by? Why do they end up living paycheck to paycheck? Why do they end up getting stressed about finances and experiencing, uh, stress in their relationships. It seems that maybe, just maybe, this doesn't work, prioritizing it like this. And and you know what they say about doing the same thing, though you know it doesn't work, but you keep doing it over and over, hoping that it will work, that you'll get a different result. That's the classic definition of insanity. See, if, if that list of priorities work, then those of us who live like that should be well off, no matter what, right? You know, if, if it works, then we should be fine. But I know that that's not the case. I, I, I know it's not the case. Uh, so we continue to act in an insane way, hoping that uh, what we have been told 
um, this principle of humanistic thinking that spend it on yourself first, uh, enjoy it while you can, blah, 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 all of that stuff, hoping that that will one day become the truth, that it'll actually work. <laughs> As we begin to dive in, I want to first look at a very interesting event in the ministry of Jesus. Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 20, um, starting in verses, actually it's 19, uh, all the way through 26. So here's what's going on. It's, verse 19 describes the situation. It says the scribes and the chief priest sought to lay hands on Jesus at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him. Verse 20, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Verse 21, so they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but you truly teach the way of God. So is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius, which was one of the coins that they would uh, use there. Um, then he says, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, oh, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. So there are a few things we could unpack from this passage. We could uh, talk about the importance of our civic duty as we uh, pay taxes in, in, in our country. Um, we could look at the idea that at this point of the ministry, the religious leaders are essentially um, doing whatever they can to, to kill him, to, to get him uh, discredited in the eyes of the people and to get him in trouble with the government. But to me, in light of what we're learning about money matters and managing God's resources, I, I want to focus on the phrase uh, that we probably know best out of this whole story, render to God the things that are God. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render unto God the things that are God's. So what things are God's? That, that's another great question. If I'm to render unto God that which is God's, well then, what, what do I have to render under him, uh, unto him? And, and what does that even mean? Um, now, of course, we looked at in the last couple of weeks that uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? Psalm 24, verse 1. So is that what Jesus is talking about? Uh, that we just need to give God the earth and everything that's in it and that he gets it all? Is, is that really what Jesus is saying? Well, I think Jesus is going a bit deeper. And I believe actually by his language, Jesus is referencing something bigger than just uh, giving back the resources to God. I, I believe he's actually referring back to Psalm 116. Psalm 116, especially verses 12 through 19. Now I say this because... This is another prominent place in scripture that uses the word render in the ESV, just like it said that in Luke chapter 20. Here we see again the word rendering as it pertains to our relationship to God. So let me read to you Psalm 116 verses 12 through 19. It says, what shall I render to the Lord? That's the question, right? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Now, another translation says, what do I owe the Lord or how can I repay the Lord? 
for all his benefits to me. It's an interesting take on what this word render means. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now that's a whole nother uh, ball game, a whole nother thing that we can unpack. But he continues on. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. And I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So he asks at the beginning of this whole section, verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits? Well, I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. I'm going to pay my vows. He answers the question. I'm going to offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'm going to pay my vows to the Lord. So he asks the question, and then he answers it. Now, when I was in youth ministry, uh, one time I was taking kids to camp, and it was about a four-hour drive. And um, we had a couple vehicles that were going to take the kids up there, but we didn't have enough room in the vans to put everybody's sleeping bags and suitcases and all of that. So I had borrowed from a guy in our congregation an extra cab diesel truck, the longer a vehicle than I had really ever driven in my life. And that was to haul some of the kids, but really to haul the luggage for the kids up to camp. Now, once we got to the camp, uh, I asked Tommy to get out and help me park because I had, again, never had to park uh, in a parking lot uh, with other cars there uh, with such a long of a vehicle. And, and as I was trying to park this beast of a, of a vehicle, I actually, Tommy was kind of, you know, he was guiding me in and what happened was I cut too close and I hit the Cadillac that was parked in the space next to me, damaging it, the, the, the fin. You know how Cadillacs had those cool fins in the back. And this was a brand new Cadillac, right? And, and, and I'm, I am just, I'm sick to my stomach. Tommy's out there just laughing. It's like, dude, you, you're horrible. You're horrible. See, the Cadillac was actually owned by a volunteer a guy named Chuck, a man named Chuck, who would come up every year on the first day of camp with his wife to, to serve, to do the registration for us, to take care of the finances for us. <laughs> so I literally crushed the, the back fin of the Cadillac of the man who selflessly would come and volunteer his time and his effort and his know-how to, uh, to help us launch camp. And so as I approach Chuck, I felt horrible. And I said, Chuck, what, what do I need to do? How much do I owe you? In other words, I was saying, what shall I render unto you, Chuck, to pay you back for what I just did to you? Well, that was also a, a lesson, a great lesson in grace. Because Chuck said to me, don't worry about and though I continued to worry about it, he caught me talking to people and worrying about it. And he said, Trey, don't worry about it. But I wanted to repay. I, I wanted to fix what's going on. And, and so that's kind of the, the, the attitude that we see here in Psalm 116. Because the psalmist remembers the goodness of the Lord. Like I was remembering the goodness of Chuck, right? And I say, how? How can I repay you? 
The psalmist asked the same thing. How can I repay the Lord for all of his goodness to me? What do I render to him? Now, in the in the psalmist's case, it's much more a thing of thanksgiving. Like you have actually done all of these wonderful things to me. Now, what do I need to do for you? That, that's that's cool that he wanted to show his thanksgiving. We, we have a problem in our country, I think, in regard to giving thanks to where thanks is due. More and more, it seems like people are just taking things for granted. But here's the psalmist realizing that in his relationship with the Lord Almighty, there is this obligation to show some kind of thanksgiving. And in this psalm, there is outlined, again, several ways to render unto the Lord what is his due. We lift up the cup of salvation, which means that we're relying on God to fill that cup of salvation rather than uh, trusting in our own good works. Uh, um, Also, to fulfill vows, to sacrifice uh, thank offerings. Uh, This is what we will be doing, by the way, uh, next week at our unity service uh, that leads up to our annual congregational meeting. We're going to see all that God did for this congregation back in 2022 for us and through us. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to be thanking him. And then, of course, then calling on the name of the Lord, which is acknowledging the relationship that we are called to have with the Lord. That's what is due. Now, I'll grant you, this doesn't mention owing God money for what he's done. What shall I render unto the Lord? Well, I should render unto him you know, half of all that I have. Now, see, it's much more uh, focused on relationship and keeping our promises to God. But even that shows that there is sacrifice and acknowledgement of God's lordship in our life that's involved. In other words, the psalmist seems to be willing to put God in control of the priority list. Coming back to Luke chapter 20, can you see how Jesus is essentially helping us do the same, especially as it comes to our obligations that involve our resources, our money. Well, yes, Jesus says you must render unto Caesar, to the government, that which is their portion, right? Whatever that is. Now, you can argue about how much that is or if we should, uh, you know, if it's too much, if we should go to a flat tax, whatever. But Jesus says if there's an obligation to the state or to the the, the country, the, the government, that uh, oversees you, then then you must do that. Uh, you must render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And by the way, this is cool. How did, how did they know what was Caesar's? Well, it was stamped on the currency, right? His image was stamped into it indelibly. His inscription and his image, Caesar's image was on that denarii, denarius. But then Jesus says you must render unto God that which is God's. So how do you know what's God's? Are are we we talking about the fact that our American currency actually has the words in God we trust on it? Well, I guess you could go there and, and preachers do. But ultimately it comes down to the fact that you and I, you and I, our lives were made in the image of God, which means that you and I have been stamped with his image. His image is indelibly stamped on us, just like the coin, the denarius that that Jesus had the leaders examine that had Caesar's image stamped onto it. What is God's? You and I are God's. See, if we were made in the image of God, if we were stamped in his likeness, then guess what? We are his. 
Render unto God that which is God's. That's us. That's our lives. And as such, by the way, and that includes everything that we are, everything that we have, even our money. And as such, it would be good to understand the owner's manual then for our lives. What does God say about our integrity, our interaction with people? our priorities and what we're going to do with the resources that he has given to us. You know, actually, let's go back quickly and talk about uh, what is imprinted on our money. In God, we trust. Because if we are to render our lives back to God, then it really is a matter of trust, isn't it? It's a matter of trusting that he has outlined for us the best list of priorities. Now, remember the list that we of what we can do with our money. We can spend it. We could uh, uh, pay what we owe in, in debts or taxes. We could save. And then if there's any left over, we can give. We can share, right? Well, what we find in Scripture is that God has essentially flipped that list for his people, just like he did everything else in the upside-down kingdom. You know, somebody uh, strikes you on the right cheek, don't haul off and and, and hit him. You, you turn the left cheek as well. Huh. Everything that God asked us to do is flipped. Well, the list of priorities is flipped as well. Why? Because if we put things in the order that we want, then, then where's our trust? There is no trust. Well, we've relegated God to the bottom, that he gets the leftovers. And if if we have anything left over, well, then I, I guess if we have nothing better to do with it, we can tip God or less than tip. Because at least with a tip, with a waitress or a waiter, you actually give them 15%. And I have yet to see large groups of Christians uh, saying that 15% would be where they would like to start giving. Ultimately, God gives us a different approach um, that shows, number one, that we trust him. But number two, interesting, that we trust him because his way can actually fix our struggles that we have when it comes to balancing our budget, uh, to stick with our budget, to, to free up some of our resources so that we might live generously when called upon. See, God gives a very practical way to demonstrate our trust in him. And it's all about the concept of first fruits. Now, what are first fruits? Well, if you go to Leviticus uh, chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 23 uh, will tell us of a system that God had, had ordained for his people to live by back in the Old Testament. Uh, let me read uh, chapter 23, Le- Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14. It says, the Lord spoke, so this is Yehovah speaking to Moses, and he said, verse 10, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, when you reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and then he shall wave that sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. The priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hin. 
and you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all of your dwellings. This is the Feast of First Fruits. And in the Old Testament, it would take place at the beginning of the barley harvest because barley was the first crop to uh, be harvested. Um, and according to this, the very first sheath of, of barley that was to be harvested, instead of being used for food, it was taken to the priest who waved it in front of the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Essentially, it was symbolically offering this, this uh, sheaf of barley to God. God put into place this idea of first fruits for several reasons, but mainly to remind us of the correct way of prioritizing our list. He has first place in everything that we do, in everything that we have. He has first place in this world. He has first place in history. He has first place in our lives. And he established first fruits to give his people a practical way of remembering to trust him for the rest of the harvest. This morning, uh, or today, as you're listening to this, uh, there are two passages I want to give to you. Passages that if you can put them into practice, it's going to fundamentally change the way that you manage your resources. Because it really shows you how to flip the list or why you shouldn't be flipping the list. The first passage, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've most likely heard in relationship to money. It's in the Old Testament book of Malachi, or Malachi, as it looks like, which is, we joke around to be the Italian prophet. The prophet Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, so it's easier to find than other Old Testament prophet books. But the prophet Malachi had been called to speak against the leadership of Israel, of God's people, because they were falling short of their duties. You see, God had set up the sacrificial system that involved the people bringing the best of their flock the best of their crops, their first fruits to God, to honor God, to trust him that he would then provide the rest. But what was happening was that God's people were essentially throwing him the leftovers, leftover scraps, things that they would not even have served guests that would come by. There's even a part of Malachi's message that accused the people of bringing things that they would not have even eaten themselves, lame scrawny, blemished animals and produce that was rotten, essentially. And so God had Malachi nail these guys to the wall. Malachi 3, verse 7 and 8 says, Ever since the time of your forefathers, God is talking to his people uh, through Malachi. He says, Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees. You've not kept them. So return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, well, how are we to return? Then God says this, well, a man robbed God, yet you robbed me. And yet you're asking, how are we robbing you? And God then says, I'm ro you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. Now, that seems a little harsh, robbing God. How, how, how can we, if God owns it all, how are we robbing God? Well, if he owns it all, as soon as we think that we are the owner, in a sense, we're robbing God like that, Right. But if he owns it all, then, then, then uh, why do I need to give him a tithe or an offering? He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need my tithe. Absolutely true, by the way. 
You don't give to a church. You don't give to God's kingdom because God needs it. You don't do that because God is poor and is out there begging. Not at all. You see, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't want your money, but he wants your heart. And as Jesus will tell us, our money represents where our heart is. Now, b- before I get into those weeds, <laughs> uh, let's let's just look at the word tithe. What is a tithe? Well, I've, I've had people in my ministry tell me that they tithe 5% to, to the church. And my response is, no, you don't. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I say, no, you don't. See, the problem is, is that tithe doesn't mean anything but 10%. So you can't tithe 5%. You can't even tithe 20%. You know, you can't just pick a number and put that as your tithe, okay? When you tithe, as God required his people to do in the Old Testament, to keep the worship at the temple going, to, to provide for those who were continually day and night offering sacrifices to the Lord, when you tithe, you gave 10%. Okay? But that wasn't the finish line, by the way. That wasn't the finish line for God's people. Now, I know people who, they don't regularly give to, to God, and they hear sermons like this, that they see what God's word says, and they, they decide to begin to contribute. Um, uh, a smaller portion at first, because this is a new thing. Uh, they're, they're trying to build up a discipline, and that's awesome, by the way. So they begin at 2%. Um, and, and then they, they hope one day to get to 10%. And that's, by the way, commendable. If you're trying to give on a regular basis and you have not, it's good that you pick a percentage and begin to give that as a first fruit. But even understanding how commendable that is, when God invited his people to share, to be generous, the tithe was actually the starting point. It was the starting line, not the finish line. Because there were tithes, but then there were offerings above and beyond the tithe. So the people were giving, but God accuses them of robbery because they were refusing to give in the way that God had invited them to give. And and I believe that this really came down to the first fruits, where the first and the best were offered. Those were being ignored. The, the, the priority of God had slipped down to the bottom of the list, right? And so verse 9 says there, were, there was a consequence because of that. He says, you are under a curse. The whole nation of you are under a curse because you're robbing me. So again, they were giving, but they were giving their leftovers. That's the problem. Again, going back to Luke chapter 20, it's incredibly telling to me that Jesus didn't say, uh, give God money. He says, render to God that which is God's, which is ultimately us, ultimately our hearts, okay? And so in a way, money does come into play because we're told that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be as well. So in other words, Jesus is saying, render unto God, not your leftovers, but your first fruits. So so let's flip the list. So instead of giving at the bottom of the list, let's start with that. Let, let's let that be our first fruits. And that will be a way of acknowledging God's provision in your life. And it will show that you trust him to be continually faithful, providing what you need throughout your life. So now going back to Malachi, after the indictment, God gives his people a way to avoid that consequence. 
He says, I want you to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. In other words, no skimping. Don't skimp. Don't, don't just bring part of it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse being the place that God's house was, that people could come and, and receive uh, um, help if they needed. And it would be, uh, again, used to uh, fund the, the worship, the, the offerings that were continually being offered. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then God says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, here's one of those times that God says we can actually test him. Why? Because he wants us to know for sure that we can trust him. He's telling us, go ahead. It's like the dad in the swimming pool and he's got the kid on the side of the pool and he wants the kid to jump in. Jump, I'll catch you. God is telling us we can trust him because he is faithful. He says, put me first and see what I'm going to do as I take care of you. We have such an amazing God. So it's not about money uh, per se, although money is involved. It's about priorities. God has said to his people, I want to be number one in your life. And why not, by the way? Why not? He deserves it, don't you think? Which brings us to the second verse then that I think would be good for us to put into practice and even to memorize. This one is found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek, what's the word? First. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you as well. Here's the point. If we trust God, we will be obedient to his word. And when it comes then to the prioritizing of the resources that he has given to us, we would that, that means we will trust him enough that we are willing to flip the list. God has said the best way to manage these resources is to make him first, put him and his kingdom first, those things that are eternal and will pierce into the darkness, make those things first. So instead of me, we, me, and then God, God says, no, actually the way that I've designed it to work is this. Share, give, then save, and then pay your debts, and then live on the rest. Every single one of those things on the, on the priority list are part of God's desire for our managerial duties, by the way. To give, well, we must give our first fruits to God. The, the first check that you write every month, every pay period, should be connected to his kingdom in some way. Now, for most church-going people, that means regularly contributing to your local congregation, the storehouse that God has called you to. But you know what? People have also found other ministries, other missions that they're involved with in doing God's work here on earth. Those are great places to give first fruits as well, by the way. The Bible also talks about providing for your family, which in our culture involves putting some resources aside, saving for the future. So when times are tough, resources are scarce, you're able to provide for your family. The, the patriarch in the Old Testament, Joseph, uh, one of Jacob's 12 sons from the book of Genesis, he, once he got into a place of, of, of a, governor, a government position, once he was able to influence what was going on, he helped save his family by helping the Egyptians save grain that was produced over in abundance of that seven years of, of plenty when, when the crops were just bountiful, in order to help in the seven years of famine that God said was going to follow. 
he saved so that he could take care of his family. So there's the first fruits. There's the saving. Then there's the whole idea of debt. You know, Proverbs 22, 7, we're told that the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Think about that. Anytime you borrow money from somebody, you're no longer working just for yourself. You're now working for them as well. Paul told us to not let any debt remain standing except for the continuing debt to love. Debt puts us in an oppressive relationship with whomever we owe. And no longer are we working for ourselves, but for that other person. And by staying in debt, paying, for example, only the minimum every month on our credit cards, or, or jumping from one debt to then another just to have more stuff, we obligate a portion of our income that could be used to honor God, to help others. We now have to pay Chevron or Macy's or Best Buy or Target. Not to mention, <laughs> we, we could have used that money to take care of our present or our future needs. So there's the first fruits, there's saving, there is paying off debt. And then the rest, guess what? You get to live on. Remember, God has given us God has given us resources so that we can enjoy. But since it's not now the full 100% of your income, you now actually have a, a great opportunity to approaching spending your resources more wisely. For instance, if, if you thought that you were bringing in 100% of your income for you to use, and now it's down to maybe, I don't know, 80% because you, you decided to give 10% 10, 10 away and you, you decided to save 10%. And, and maybe even you're using 5% to pay off your debt. So let's say you're actually now living on 75% of your income. Now you have to be wiser in the decisions you make. For example, are there things that you can live without? Are there channels on your DirecTV package that you really never watch? Do you really need to pay for those? Do you really need a phone that costs $1,400? Why aren't you learning how to fix things rather than just immediately replacing them when they get a little bit old and, and worn down? I really believe that there's so much wisdom in flipping the list of priorities in our life. So much benefit. Our trust increases. Our servitude to corporations is eliminated. We're free. <laughs> we develop self-control. We're able to practice contentment. We can get rid of anxiety. Just as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we eat? But seek the first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all those things that people get anxious about will be added to you. Right, a little bit longer message. And I get it, but this is, this is important. The practice of first fruits is such an amazing demonstration of trust. And because of that, flipping the list and putting God's kingdom first, priority-wise, is an incredibly powerful thing to do because it releases God's power in a way to do things for you that you never thought were possible. I'm not talking about getting rich because you give to God first. That's not it. That's not what's promised. What is promised is that when you flip the list, God shows up. God takes care of you. And not only that, not only will he provide for your needs, but he's going to lead you to have the ability to be generous on all occasions so that he can work through you to continue meeting other people's needs and building his kingdom. So here's what you need to do now that this podcast has ended. Are you willing to now sit and think through this? 
maybe with your spouse, with your family, to discuss it, to work through it. It's not an easy decision. It's not even a quick decision. But I believe that you can work your way there. And if you do, if you can begin to put a, a very real, very practical trust in God and in his provision and in his care for your life, if you will remember his faithfulness and and remember that when you do remember his faithfulness and trust in that faithfulness, he will provide. <laughs> That's where God wants us to live. That's what God told the people to test him. Flip the list. Flip the list. Flip the list. Test him. Put him first and see how he blesses. But the question is, is do you trust him? All right. Well, again, a little bit longer sermon, but um, important to, to really look at what it means to flip that list and to see uh, what it means to render under God that which is God's. All right. Thank you so much uh, for your participation, for you listening in. I want to thank my team, uh, Lisa Welly, uh, putting these podcasts together, Steve Pittman for being our tech guru here at the church. And again, if you ever find yourself in Central Oregon, please visit us uh, on the weekend. Uh, we have an 8.30 and a 10.30 and an 11.30 service here on Sunday mornings. You can uh, get to our website to find all of that information, uh, powellbuttechurch.com. All right, we will see you next time.